millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Welcome back to Fighting on Film. It's episode two of Anzac Month. And this week we are doing The Light Horseman from 1987. Matt, the plot of Light Horseman in a sentence or more. The Light Horseman, uh, essentially it's the lead up to the charge at Bathsheba. That's it. That's it. Yeah. 1917 Battle of Bathsheba in the Great War. And it's uh, basically uh, the main plot is about a soldier who finds it hard to kill basically as well that's uh, that's the main yeah, character's yeah, arc there, there. Yeah. yeah so let's get straight into production this week so the movie was directed by simon winston now before we started the show i asked matt whether he wanted me to surprise him with winston's works or whether he wanted to know and he's he wanted to be surprised so i like a surprise yeah it's varied to say the least so he directed 1993's free willy okay <laughs> And six episodes of the Young Indiana Jones series, which um, large sequences of this movie, The Light Horseman, yeah. were used in. The Palestine 1917 episode. Yeah, yeah. I remember that episode. Everyone hates that series, but I liked it. I thought it was okay when I was young. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. I remember the gas attack scene in one of the episodes being quite... Yeah, that was, that was good. Quite brutal. I, I rewatched some of them recently and they stand up well. Mm, you do. Coming to a war movie podcast near you yeah. at some point. And then... Uh, it's a war movie, it counts. Um, 1995's Operation Dumbo Drop. Oh, fuck off, no way. <laughs> yeah, what a varied wow. career this man's had. What else? <laughs> That's, uh, they're the highlights for me. Um, okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, wow. Yeah. 
That um, is varied. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so uh, this is one of the later films in the Australian New Wave cinema movement of the 70s and 80s. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and it was written by... We're well into it at this point, aren't we? Are, we're near the end of the sort of com- coming down off the peak of, of, of the, the New Wave. Surely that was um, Crocodile Dundee 3, though, surely. Probably was, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was written by Ian Jones, who's an Australian writer and director, and he wrote the screenplay for the 1970 Ned Kelly biopic uh, that starred Mick Jagger. I had a look at his um, credits, and he's written a lot of books about, one, the Ned Kelly gang, Mm. and two, the Lie Horseman. So they they seem to be his his areas of interest. Um, And he also... uh, was heavily involved directing um, multiple Australian historical dramas and police dramas, such as Matlock Police and the Bluestone Boys. And the cinematography was by Dean Semler, another Australian um, cinematographer, who most notably did the cinematography on Mad Max 2 and Beyond Thunderdome, the third one. And then he won an Oscar for cinematography for Dances with Wolves. And in uh, 2002, he did the cinematography on We Were Soldiers. So there's quite a varied mix there as well. Oh, he's got some. He's got some quite, quite some real pedigree, pedigree. There, even in it, the war genre. I yeah. think it shows. There's some great. Um, there's some great like set piece camera work in this, and the sense of scale that the the camera work provides in this is really something. Oh, I agree. It's beautifully shot. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And the music was by Mario Millo, who was a member of a of an Australian rock band called Sebastian Hardy. Then he turned to doing the scores for TV and film. And he won an AFI award for the best original score for this movie in 1988. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was an RKO Pictures production, along with uh, the Australian Film Commission and the South Australian Film Corporation. And it was released on the 10th of September 1987 in Australia, then in 88 in America. And it was actually filmed entirely within Australia, in Victoria and a a town called Hawker in South Australia. And it was shot for 10.4 million Australian dollars but it only made back about 1.6. So I think it was a bit of a flop at home. Not not critically. I don't think the reviews as harsh um, mm-hmm. as the maybe box office was. But apparently the uh, director and the writer had to put in some of their own money to get the movie over the line, um, which was quite interesting to find out. Uh, and there's one little tidbit that, made, that I found funny when I was researching. So the crew wore T-shirts with this on the back in, in text. It said, oh. the light horseman, they fought against impossible odds. They rode mile after mile across some of the Earth's hottest terrain. Through searing heat and bone-piercing cold, they endured unimaginable hardships. And that was just the film crew. <laughs> I like that. It's good. If anyone's got a light horseman t-shirt, I want one. And our review this week comes from the Canberra Times, 11th of July, 1988. And I'll read you the opening two paragraphs. There's an exciting climax to the light horseman involving a cavalry charge across exposed plain, almost literally into the barrels of the defending enemy guns. It does give a little sparkle at the end of the movie, but I was left wondering whether it was worth waiting for. To get there, we had to traverse a torturous plot about mateship under fire, with a few stock comments on the fossilised tactical thinking which bedeviled military leadership in the painful and bloody transition from the 19th century to modern warfare. That's interesting that it mentions mateship in there um, mm. because that's something that we, we talked about last week as well with the odd angry shot. Is it, I wonder, is it the case there that there might be a little bit of fatigue with mateship within Australian war movies? Maybe perhaps, um, yeah. Because they're all, it's an element in almost all of them, isn't it? Mm. Um, that's only one reviewer, so you can't really say that. But 
I, I've seen reviews that that suggested that Light Horseman didn't do as well as Gallipoli because Gallipoli was a glorious failure, whereas the Light Horseman was a glorious success. Perhaps, yeah. Um, yeah. And that didn't resonate in the same way or culturally, perhaps, um, in Australia. Mm. But yeah, that's interesting. Maybe that maybe like that, you know, in the Gallipoli is more maybe popular more popularly known if that makes sense than, than the, the light horse yeah charge. well i mean interestingly I mean, uh in 1940 we had the, the like uh, the forty thousand horsemen didn't we yes at that point it was you know it was a cultural touchstone and it was it was probably as well known as as the uh disaster of gallipoli mm. perhaps it, it waned off a little bit and gallipoli had been uh the focus of of the of the 1981 movie mm-hmm. um and sort of eclipsed yeah maybe other aspects of australian military history from world war one mm. specifically but the, the mateship concept with this is is something because it's again it's four or five lads that yeah. are um in the in in this it's a bit like the unit. old angry shot and they're already established friends when they go in yeah yeah they are they are and it, we join them well into the war as well mm. um so they all know each other quite well and it does have that little bit where one of them is wounded later dies swaps in a new guy um which is kind of a trope done done in a few films mm. uh, where they introduce someone new to a, a squad yeah um it's very yeah, cliched isn't mateship it is mateship is definitely a um a prominent feature with a lot of australian war movies mm. uh, and it, it's interesting it's what i think this is they're very blokey blokes aren't they and they're very sort of macho yeah. men yeah you get the cliche of sort of being mean to mitchell for like no reason it's not his fault yeah sort of thing and i'm like he's new. it jars me every time i see that i'm like why are you being mean to him for it's not his fault he's new but as always we ask for your one word reviews and this week we've got some absolute corkers so ad bond goes with brotherhood ian mckellen says gallipoli with a winky face ernest malley says taz and then he added it's not a one word review but i thought it was interesting he said should have been in the third light horse, not the fourth. A good Tasmanian has no business mixing with those Victorians. <laughs> <laughs> Some regional Aussie <laughs> Aussie rivalry there for you all. <laughs> uh, Pete the Paints account says gallantry. David Cobbett says bonza. And Adam Brown says formidable. That's just a few this week. But we had some really good responses. Thanks, everyone. We did. We had a bumper crop of, of did, good yeah. one-word reviews. Anzac Mumps brought out the best in everyone, I think. Well, there's so many There's so many films that people I know. have taken to heart, isn't there? We're not going to have... We're not we going to be able gonna... to cover them all this month, are we? Might no, exactly. That's what one. I was going to say. We're not going to get there, are we, this month? I mean, um, we'll just have to continue and, and do some more throughout the year or perhaps hold on for another Anzac month. Who knows? Yeah, keep your eyes on the Twitter. We've got a guest for next week. Um, I think you'll enjoy who we've got. It's a repeat guest. That's all we can say for now. Good clue. Good clue. Keep uh, keep on the socials and you'll find out. At Fighting on Film. At Fighting on Film, yep, yeah, on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, Matt, do you want to regale us with the cast this week? Indeed. So it's it's a solid Australian cast um, and there's some uh, members with some really interesting careers. Mm. Uh we start off with Peter Phelps, uh, who plays Dave Mitchell, and he had lots of small parts in films and some Australian TV uh, roles, including Baywatch, uh, which isn't an Australian TV role, but no. is a pretty interesting TV role. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, John Blake, who played uh, Trooper Scotty Bolton. Um, he was tragically paralysed on uh, the last day of filming. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. It was a shock. Yeah. It, it cut a promising career. Uh, I think it did. Short. 
he was previously in a few episodes of Patrol Boat and was Flanagan in 1985's Anzacs. Uh, Tony Bonner was Brigadier Murray Boccia, and he was in You Can't Win Them All with Tony Curtis uh, and Charles Bronson in 1970, which I watched recently and was an interesting movie, mm. very interesting movie. Um, I think that one might come in for a future Merc month. Um, he was also in uh, The Highest Honor in 1982, which is a, a, another um, movie about Z units. Um, ah. Not just it's not just Z force. No. There are others. No, there are. Um, that was that. We, interestingly, um, The Highest Honor was a, an Australian Japanese production right. uh, co-production. Yep. He was also um, in Anzacs 1985 series Anzacs. And he was uh, also in William Kelly's War in 2014. Ah. Uh, Bill Kerr plays uh, General Sir Harry Shovel, and he was uh, Flight Lieutenant H.B. Martin in The Dambusters mm-hmm. in 1955. Yeah. He was also in Gallipoli in 1981, and he was also in The Anzacs in 1985. Proper. So we've got quite a few yeah. former cast members from Anzacs in here. Uh, we've got Taz, who was played by John Walton, and he was in lots of Australian TV. Gary Sweet played Frank, um, and he was also in quite a lot of Australian TV and some films, and was also um, Sergeant Elmo Gunny Haney in Pacific. Okay, wow. Yeah. Right. Uh, Tim McKenzie played Chiller. Uh, he was Barney in Gallipoli in 1981, and uh, also had quite a few Australian TV uh, credits. And the, the love interest of the film was played by Sigrid Thornton, and um, she was in the 1982 adaptation of uh, Roger MacDonald's 1979 novel, 1915, about Gallipoli. Anthony Andrews uh, played uh, Colonel Richard Meinzenhagen, who's the, um, uh, the the British intelligence officer. He previously played uh, Joseph Gabczyk uh, in Operation Daybreak in 1975. Um, he was initially cast as uh, Bodhi in the UK TV series The Professionals, um, didn't quite have the right chemistry so he was uh, swapped out uh and then he later went on to be the lead in uh danger uxb uh he was also in 1988's uh, hannah's war and most recently he played um the prime minister stanley baldwin in the king's speech oh yeah of course he did yeah, yeah nice uh then we have um shane bryant who played the german intel uh officer who arrives uh, at the beginning of the film to talk to the German general and then as an advisor to um, Ismet Bey. Uh, he was a pilot in the 1971 movie Von Richthofen and Brown. And then later he was in Nancy Wake uh, in 1987, which is a, um, about a female um, SOE operative from New Zealand. And he was most recently in Gallipoli 2015. There you go. Nice run down there. Uh, and rounding it out, we've got Anthony Hawkins as Sir Edmund Allenby, and we have Gerard Kennedy as Ismet Bay. Nice. I think it was a quite a good cast, actually. Like everyone was. I think everyone does a really good job in yeah. this. Um, yeah. There's some really nice little scenes, mm. and a lot of the criticism about the film is, well, the cast is a little bit flat. Um, perhaps they're not given enough to do, which yeah, I can understand I, in some respects. I could go for that, yeah, but then. But I yeah. think it's no fault of their own. No, I don't. No, I don't think the script is. It's a very the long best. movie. I think what it is, it's mm. a very long movie, and within that time, you would expect the characters characters to develop more. Yeah, and perhaps they don't develop as much. The only character as you, you would get expect any development with is Mitchell, and his only yeah. arc is, oh, I can't, 
I can't kill. That's his only arc. Yeah, and then he meets a nice girl. He meets a nice girl, then he's REMC, and then he and then spoiler alert, he takes a grenade to the back, and that's him. That's his that's his arc mm. done. You know, I wish we'd have had more of Scotty, because he's quite in, he's quite important at the end, stopping the wells being blown up. Well, he is, yeah. I mean, he almost takes on the the you know protagonist role at that at that yeah. point in the movie, doesn't he? That, that, I mean, that's a criticism I've got. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll go in more depth at the end. I don't think the movie quite knows who it wants its main character to be, um, and that yeah, perhaps so. It's torn bit. between being an ensemble piece and, mm. and developing individuals, isn't it? At, at times. Yeah, I agree. So this week, should we go on to the alley telly? It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So, Ali Tally this week, in a movie about horses, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the tanks that you see very briefly at the start. Um, They're great, aren't <laughs> they? They, are really they look good. so good. Yeah, so they are Mark... Mark 1's. IV. What's that in Roman numerals? Christ, you can tell me what's skull. <laughs> IV, that's that's four, Rob. Four, that's is it four. four? Right, okay. Yeah, they should have been Mark 1's, though. Rocky 3, Rocky V. No, I can't remember. Are they called Rocky 4, <laughs> IV or not? But no, they're Mark 4 tanks. And you see them very briefly at the start. One's called the Nutty. How's that on the side of its it's his name? But they were mock-ups that were built in factories in Hawker, in the town where, where the movie was shot. And supposedly they're static mock-ups that were pulled underground by wire and they had a small oh, wow. crew inside to operate the guns. That's cool. And I found that online. I couldn't, I couldn't corroborate it. There was no other information apart from what this one forum user said. They a, look so good, though. They look great. Yeah, there's one that's knocked out. I think there's a, a female and a male version on show. They're a nice little uh, touch. But the only thing that annoyed me in that sequence is you get a German general who is sitting in that sort of castly fort-type structure. Yeah. And he looks at the tanks. He goes, oh, that's no way. You don't know how to fight tanks. I'm like, but neither do you. They're about a year old. Like, yeah, that's true. have you got a clue how to fight tanks yet? Just some of the lines in this were a little bit, a little bit out there. Sometimes, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, this is this is the thing. There's also a bit there that when the when the light horsemen appear and they dismount and he goes, ah, the horsemen, is they're formidable, but the English don't know how to use them. I've got it written down here. It's like they're on cavalry, they're Australian light horse, and I'm like, yes, we yeah. know, <laughs> like we know that's what the thank you for about. the introduction there, General. Um, and the the British, the palms aren't using them properly. God yeah, damn it. that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very. Yeah. Um, very, the movie is very talking to, directly to the audience there, isn't it? So I did a little bit of research on the tanks um, myself, and it's it's depicting um, one of the attacks on Gaza. I assume it's the first one, perhaps yeah, the second. The I, failed, know, the, I think the, it's the, the failed second battle of Gaza at the start. I think that's what right. Right, that would make sense because the, the, there weren't any tanks at the first one, but there were at the second one. Right. In reality, it was a, deta- uh, a detachment of E Battalion, and it was commanded by a Major Norman Nutt, which explains why one of the tanks is called the Nutty. Very good. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Um, and they would have been Mark 1s uh, in reality. They're the ones with the very long six-pounders rather than the shorter ones because mm-hmm. they hadn't yet realised if you go into a trench and you get your long <laughs> six-pounders stuck, stuck into yeah. the side of the trench, it's not great. It's not going to be fun, um, And that, that's that's how the Mark IV evolved. Or, as I should say, the Mark IV. <laughs> And um, <laughs> that's what I'm going to be calling it now for the eternity. <laughs> um, but yeah, isn't it so cool to see yeah. tanks in the I desert in World War One? No, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, but then obviously when the when the horses do come in, they're just 
the way they shoot them, the way the the sound effects with the galloping hooves, it, it very like you get caught up in those sequences, don't you? I think they're very well yeah. done. Yeah, they really capture the movement of them. It's it's beautiful. I mean that it, well that Christ that intro sequence that you get before they even get to the desert, where it's just some light horsemen rounding up some horses to I assume great. take and train. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's so the way nice. that shot is in, is incredible. Yeah, it's it's got some um, really nice opening sort of sections. Yeah, and then it cuts to the to the main character. I assume doing horse donuts. Like, what do you call it when you go in circles in a horse? I don't know. I'm not a horse person. He was exercising the horse, as far <laughs> as I'm sorry if there are any. He horse, was riding it in a circle. Horse donuts. Horse donuts. <laughs> Put the handbrake on. Do a left turn. The horse does a donut. That's how it works. Shortly, um, he's doing that. But the, yeah, I, the cut to that is very editing, harsh. Yeah. Oh god, that was, I was about to say it's the editing there is cut. very bizarre. It's very weird. So it's just like it's like a it's almost like a smash cut to like <laughs> really? yeah, we're in the desert now. Yeah, it's very weird. It throws you in. You can't complain that the mm-hmm. movie gets doesn't take time getting into it. Anyway, Rob, this is the alley time. We need to get back Sorry, to Sorry, yeah. So Light Horseman. We're getting distracted. Yeah, we are. Sorry. <laughs> we're talking about cinematography. This is a film podcast. What the hell are we doing? So the Light Horseman. I think they're really unique in the way they look. In the grand scheme of great war movies, um, it's not what we sort of expect to see because we expect, you know, putties. No, it's a long way away from yeah, the, yeah. Oh, wait, the recognised being... tropes of Brodies and We're not on the Western stuff. Front. So you've got British troops yeah. in pith helmets and, and khaki SD. You've got, you know, you see, even see some Scottish troops at, at one point. So that train sequence is really nice. You can analyse how many different allied nations are represented in, in that little seat it's a really nice bit, bit of attention to detail mm. but i thought that the just the, the the gear that the light horsemen have is just quite iconic because you know they've got their they haven't got 1908 webbing they've got their leather 1903 sort of style bandoliers oh yeah they've yeah. got their you know their khaki service jacket a lot of them got it undone you know their sleeves rolled up they've got their really you know their lovely emu pl- plumes in their hats just such an mm-hmm. iconic look it's not something we're used to seeing in first world war movies and i think for that reason alone it really stands out and also you know this is final thoughts later on but um it also stands out in the in the world of first world war movies because it's set in the desert and i think we're mm. so popular consciousness we're so locked into thinking world war one western front trenches mud and blood we don't often think sand sand and sinai deserts we don't think that as often as we should perhaps no it's true it's it, it's a forgotten front almost mm. really um, it's subordinate to both the Western Front and Gallipoli. Oh, yes, I was about um, to say that. Yeah, even Gallipoli's above it in the way we think. As as I say, it's just a, a nice change of, of pace for a First World War film to go down. It is. The attention to detail on, on Kit is actually you know really impressive. Mm. Um, and there's loads of beautiful close-up shots as well, yeah, which really nice. shows that they've thought about it. So it's you know, close-up shots of, of um, officers pushing um, holsters closed, Men taking rounds out of bandoliers. Yeah. And there's loads of really great um weapons handling close-ups too. So you get to see everyone taking off their like their, their bolt cover off their LEM foot before they go into battle. You really see that. It's yeah. nice, nice yeah. little um, attentions. Close-ups of people setting sights, uh loading stripper clips or charges as, as the British called them. Um and we get to see some nice SMLE Mark III um magazine cutoffs. Mm. Um, I enjoyed that. Lots of stuff like that, um, and it, it's just it's nice attention to detail, Isn't and it? it kind of plays in with the end sequence as well because we get lots of close-ups of the Turkish rifles, yep. 
well, I'll, I'll go into it later on because we're going to talk about that sequence in detail. I like but... it when you get Taz when he says, is it Taz? I think when he goes, one up the spad, lads, don't forget about your safety catches. Uh, really, let's mm-hmm. just, uh, nice little lines. It's really yeah, nice little. Yeah. It's another It's another one where, you know, I don't think the... 1907 saw bayonets yeah, get really... a really prominent role in this film, obviously. <laughs> they get prominently stuck in some dirks at the end. Um, they do. <laughs> they really do. But I like, it's another thing where, as we had with old angry shot, I think the dialogue of the troops is very true. When they're having banter and things like that, I do think that's quite strong. I agree there. Yeah, I agree. Some of the weapons, um, we had the techs with um, Mausers. Uh, they should be uh, model 1893s and 1903s. Um, I think they might be later upgrades to 1903s in the film, but I'm, I'm not sure. The uh, officers all have models. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Six Webleys. That's VI, Rob. Um, Mark VI. Um, Okay, slow down. Know your Roman numerals for your chat to fucking Matthew Moss, everyone. Jeez. <laughs> he went to a Russell Group University. It's what he expects. <laughs> um, Sorry, I went, I went to a former from... polytechnic. We can't all be fucking halos <laughs> above our heads, can we? <laughs> Um, what was I saying? Oh, uh, Mauser C96 broom handle. Mauser's get a nice, really common, nice um, yep. little sequence in there. Scotty ends up with one at the end. Mm. Um, we get to see a nice uh, Maxim MG08 uh, is opening fire on the um, the uh, attacking light horseman. Did you notice the, uh, the long um, nose, red tipped blank in the? Uh, I did. Very I did. nice. Yeah, only yes. a certain amount of people are going to get that. But if you mm-hmm. if you know, you know. <laughs> they got the good stuff. They did. They got the really nice stuff. um and then there was um some really nice mocked up um 7.7 centimeter um uh, 1896 uh field guns yeah they were really good that they have in there i think they were probably mocked up by the same people that did the the tanks they all all worked on like all the factories worked on the props and things all the you know the the uniforms are made in australia as well they they look spot on they look really good um and then there's a brief scene where you get to see a Lewis gun firing on um, very brief the the uh, the plane that attacks in the German mm. um, reconnaissance plane. They don't hit anything. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they don't hit that plane, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Well, those bombs look awful. <laughs> they are um, a bit like pantomime villainy, like cartoon. Yeah, they're like something out of a yeah, like yeah, Looney Tune almost. In reality, I don't think they had Lewis's. I think they had uh, Mark One 
uh, Hotchkiss portatives. Oh, okay. Because they were, they were a mounted unit, yes, and that's what that mounted would have made sense. units normally had. They didn't really have Lewis's, I think, at that Remember, point. Remember, they're anyway. not cavalry, they're mounted infantry. Remember, they are. says that. Or, very... as you should, or as we'd know them as dragoons. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, was, that, was, that was quite a lot of exposition from that general. Really um, was, wasn't it? Um, I'm general, says everything. A, um, and then there's a, a, a brief glimpse of a Vickers gun packed onto a horse. Very brief, but it was nice. It was, it was. I was hoping that we we'd see them taking it off and saying, that, that would yeah. be cool. But that was intercut with lads on camels, which I quite like to see. Because camel corps mm. never ever seen in movies, I think, ever. No, it's true, it's true. Maybe in the four feathers, perhaps. I haven't I haven't rewatched that for a while. I think the closest you get to that is there's a there's a, a sequence in Khartoum with uh Charlton Heston where there's a little bit of camel corps. Camels in war films, let's go. We won't have the hump, will we? Right. <laughs> oh god. Moving on. Hello, Robbie here. Did you know you can support the podcast on Patreon? Join the supporting cast today and gain access to exclusive perks, such as discount codes, our monthly Patreon film votes, and the chance to get exclusive merchandise before anyone else. Search Fighting on Film on Patreon or find the link on our website. Thank you. Now back to the show. Favourite season. I think we both might be talking about the same scene this week. I think you're right. So it's the scene where they're on the beach and they're all naked and they're riding the horses, right? That was so weird. <laughs> it's like the Top Gun volleyball scene, but with horses in the First World War. You know, it's it's that, nice, though. It's, 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 it's set in a rest camp. Yeah. Um, that isn't our favourite scene. No, it's not. But, no. yeah. Um, that might be our most yeah, unexpected that... bit, to be fair. It's quite unexpected. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it makes complete sense, that, you know, rest camp for the horses and for yeah, the men. Yeah, of course. So. It's, Got it's nice the, the movie shows that the, the horses weren't just go for a swim at all. They were actually respected and you know yeah, they were cared yeah. for properly by the troops. Because you know, sometimes you just sort of forget that the horses are just as important as the, the troops, two cavalry and two light horsemen. You know, it's obviously yeah, they're intrinsic. Yeah. Um, and there's a lovely scene before we move on, actually. There's a lovely scene where they've only got enough water like one quart per man one water bottle per man oh yeah yeah and the the lads that are in this sort of like gully thing where they're having a bit of a rest he's just slouch hatting doesn't he yeah he punch yeah the, the character i think it's taz again it might be taz he punches in his taz or scotty yeah one taz or scotty he punches in his hat and he gives the water to the horse and the horse has a lovely drink and it's like sort of a really nice little moment spills between. most of it and, <laughs> yeah um... it gets everywhere doesn't matter. it's not like it's precious or anything with the horse they've only got so much he can't help it, Robbie's a horse. He can't help it, he doesn't know. Yeah. But he'll charge against cavalry, charge against rifle fire like it's nothing. But he can't politely drink some water. Crazy. Anyway, so I think our favourite scene, probably, I mean, it's, it's got to be everyone's favourite scene when you watch this movie. If, if, you don't, if you don't enjoy the massive cavalry charge at the end, why are you watching The Light Horseman? Like, well, the whole film is set up to, it literally to introduce is. this climactic yeah. battle, isn't it? And it... And arguably, the film does a really great job it of does. setting it up. Yeah, it does. And the payoff is there. It pays mm. off really well. It's not like you go, oh, okay. Yeah, it does. Well, it's not a damp squib, is it? it it's really... very good. It's yeah. beautifully shot. It's chaotic. It's frenetic. It's kinetic. It's yeah. It's really good. The momentum, good. the speed, the, the score. Mm. You know, as I said earlier, the thunder of hooves, just seeing that many horses on screen at once, and you know none of them are CGI. Hundreds have been trained. Yeah, exactly. In this scene, yeah, like the scale of it is so impressive. I wonder how many times they shot it because it seems such like. Well, it took them three weeks. Yeah. Wow, really? So that's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so it, it was ten weeks of shooting, um, and then so a third of that went into shooting 
the actual climactic <laughs> battle. Was it one end. week of it just shooting that artillery officer going, 400 meters, 500 meters. <laughs> just, I'm just like, mate, no one can hear you. No one cares. No one can hear. Exactly. Yeah. No, the, re- the, re- oh, the reason he's doing that is because they've they've made the point of all the all the riflemen in the slip trenches That's have gone, it. well, 1,600 metres, set your sights. They set yes, the sights. they do. And when do you see people setting sights that's in a really film? Nice. Never. Yeah, that's a lovely yeah. little touch. Yeah. Great stuff. And then obviously um, you're, then so they're they firing them... over their heads, aren't they? So you know that they're going to actually clash. Yeah, it's a nice little thing. Exactly. There. So the way that sights work is that they're raised up so that the, the rifle muzzle is is aimed at the, yeah. at the right distance. And once, once the men are past that 1,600 metres... You have to adjust your sights All the because they get closer. Over your head. Yeah, yeah, because they are adjusting, and that's the film is suggesting there that that's why because of the um, the Turkish panic of seeing these horsemen coming on. Yeah, um, that's why so many managed to make it to the actual front line. Because if you think really like like horses versus rifle and machine gun fire, mm. rifle and machine gun fire should win every time. Yeah, and it did on the Western Front. So during you know the first battles of of uh, the first World war on the Western Front, cavalry did encounter machine gun fire, with terrible results. Yeah, there's a great um, there's a great line actually about the actual uh, cavalry charge that I found, and it was from James McCarroll, who was a, a part of the New Zealand Mounted Rifle Brigade at the time, and he said a great sight suddenly sprang up on our left, lines and lines of horsemen moving, the Turks were on the run, and the Australians were after them. We could see horses jumping in trenches, dust everywhere. And that's what the film conveys yeah. perfectly. And it said the defenders fought grimly and considerable numbers were killed. I mean, like, gosh, yeah. It's yeah. really well done. I, I mean, th- there's lots of uh, point of view shots. There's mm. tracking shots. There's bits of slow motion with the horses leaping. There's reaction shots of uh, the men on horseback, the men in the trenches. There's close-ups of weapons being used. You get that really nice close-up of the, the Turkish rifle sights. <laughs> in typical Aussie fashion, there's a nice swipe at the British during that battle as well, where he goes, what do you think of foreign and us mates, the, the Turks or the bloody palms? <laughs> I was just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. was, why are we so bad? What are we done? You know, oh, oh, come on. <laughs> I loved it, though. It was great. But then they hammer that bit it home is. where they're all having a laugh. They actually hammer home the horrors of war where uh, the chap... Oh, I can forget the guy's name now, but um, he gets uh, he gets blown up, doesn't he, by a shell? Literally minutes after laughing about this joke, so it's quite yeah, it's the Taz, humor I think, and the horror. Gets killed. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and the humor and horror comes in, and, and then Schiller gets shot in the arm, and yeah. Dave comes and tends Mitchell to him. Mitchell comes gets him, yeah. and yeah, and when uh, a wounded Turkish uh, soldier throws a mm. stick grenade. He, he covers Chiller and himself, gets wounded yeah. again. Because I thought... Uh, and then Scotty goes into the town and, and confronts the, the German it. officer yes. that's trying to blow up the wells. Yes. Because in that book, I thought Mitchell was going to have his arc fulfilled where he killed the Turk trying to kill his mate. I thought he would do yeah, that. Yeah, well... But then I had this he whole... He would have done, I think. I think the film's almost suggesting that he would have done. Yeah. To, to protect his friend when he first arrives because... Um, then, then another horseman arrives and, and sort of breaks breaks them up, doesn't he? I had this internal battle in my head where I was thinking about historical context. Like, he can't kill. He's got a red arm, a red cross armband on. He can't kill. <laughs> ah, you know, like my historian and brave story. It's wrong. It's wrong. But no, he didn't. <laughs> like, I was like, hang on, please don't let that happen. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, but no, that that whole sequence is just it's just something else, isn't it? Like, and the hand to hand really is so much more brutal than I thought it was going to be apparently for overseas they cut about 
eight or ten minutes out of that sequence because of some of the i think the uk edit had like a 14 minute yeah because some yeah. of the way the horses fell looked quite rough and some of the like the, the hands of hand was quite brutal but you know you can see lads actually getting stuck with bayonets and you know it does that whole the brilliant thing where movies do where they show it they they do it but don't show you so you've got yeah the lads, yeah, lads on horseback quite a few times, swiping it? down with bayonets and you hear thuds and sort of dull hits of of metal on wool and it's quite you know you can just imagine like how you know these lads getting felled it's um it's one of the best one of the better scenes in in war yeah. cinema i think and seeing the forty thousand horsemen from 1940 it's, it's very very similar i think in, in parts it is I, I i watched it uh before and as well and i thought wow that's there's a lot of shots here where they obviously obviously perhaps taken a little bit of um inspiration mm, I think because so. you know you see guys um fighting in the trenches there's a horse riding through one of the trenches but yeah i i can't think of many cavalry charge um scenes in cinema which convey scale and depth yeah. as well as this one does the, the one in the one in the war horse is quite good i think that's one of the more recent ones yeah, yeah. i mean the, there's stuff like the charge of the light brigade both versions um there's there's a couple of others. There's a there's a custom movie that does it quite well. Mm-hmm. The Errol Flynn one. Mm. Um, yeah, there's 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 good ones out there, but this is this is this very is beautiful shot. Top tier charging, isn't it? it is. Yeah, it really is, and it it's worth watching. Fighting on films, top cavalry charges. One of those early two thousands clip shows. <laughs> yeah, walking exactly, from yeah. from a shot holding a saber. You might have seen a cavalry charge in a film, but you haven't seen this cavalry charge in a film. Cut to like some sort, of, clip. Some sort of Z-list man- <laughs> Liverpudlian <laughs> comic going, hey, you know what I fucking love about this charge? Everything's fucking going on. You know, you got horses, fucking <laughs> bayonets. It's fucking great. <laughs> those, those, those talking head <laughs> They're great, isn't they? It's always the same shows. people. Yeah. You're still- like they still put them on. Like, I know it's bizarre. We're anyway, sh- so, sorry, if international audience. If you're listening and wondering what the hell we're talking about there, <laughs> we're talking about a very a popular in- British format of doing the hundred best of something in about about yes. two thousand to about two thousand and five. You couldn't move for them. Um, yeah, and we used to watch. The thing is, off track now, but we used to sit like and watch them as a family, like from start to finish. I know. I mean, I remember watching the war movie. Yeah, one. the war movie one was good. Yeah, I mean, it spoilers. Same Robert Ryan won, but you know, obviously. Yeah, that's the thing that made me frightened of the war game. Actually, that's where that all started. Actually, I know. Yeah, Getting yeah. Back on track. Yeah, but if they do another one, Channel Four, we'd love to be talking heads on it. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> so um, I think we should move on to final thoughts this week. It's difficult to say. I like it, but I don't. It wasn't. It didn't wow me until the end. I thought it was quite a. I thought it started off quite strong, and then it it had a very long dip in the middle where they were setting up the battle. You have the the haversack ruse thing that people, you know, it wasn't very true whether mm-hmm. that guy actually did it or not. Did some digging on that. Very interesting. You can make a movie just about that. To be fair. Um, yeah. Him coming in was quite confusing for us for a little while. I thought, was he a spy? Not knowing the history, I was like, oh, we know, is that going to be the, you know, is that going to be the new thing? Um, and I felt like the horsemen themselves were sort of forgotten a bit when that was happening. It, it felt like, I was like, what are you doing here? You, are you showing me the Light Horseman movie or are you showing me a comprehensive sort of film about the Battle of Beersheba, which it kind of is doing both, I guess. 
but I thought yeah. I wish it had stuck okay. to one thing. If you know, you know what I'm saying. Get going, and then just to quote the end of that review um, from earlier, and I think it sums up what I'm trying to say better than I can say it. So I said there are a few too many cliches in the Light Horseman, and at times almost boys' own annual treatment of warfare will show those Turks a thing or two as a typical remark. Apart from Dave, the characters never come to life. Scotty, John Blake, is the best, although his rather stagey Irishman, while the rest are virtually cardboard cutouts of the good, honest Aussie digger. Which I sort of agree with. Mm. That's one of my main issues with the movie is, well, it's probably my one issue with the film, really, is that it it doesn't, doesn't quite know who its main character is. So then I felt less invested at times. Because not yeah, so you get you get that development mm. with Dave's character, um, and then other points it feels more like an ensemble piece. Yeah, and it can't quite. At the end, yeah. it kind of puts the protagonist lens onto Scotty's character, mm. um, where he he goes off and stops the detonation of the mines. Yeah, because Mitchell uh, comes in, he wells. goes away, he comes in and goes away again, mm. and I'm like, there's some scenes where Mitchell's gone to the ambulance um, call. Yeah, and. We- he just he turns up again. No, he just turns up at the end again. It's obviously, you don't need a protagonist. You don't need one. There are films that don't have one. That's perfectly fine. But I felt like this movie might have been a little bit, might have been a little bit more stronger if we'd have just had that one character to really sort of hang our hat on. Because Mitchell's not boring. He's not a bad character. I did like his, no. you know, sort of freezing at the moment of will you or won't you kill? And then that's something that we can all... I did think one of the scenes where it sets that up was kind of ham-fisted and badly done, though. What one? What one did you not like? There's a um, there's a bit where he's charged by an Ottoman cavalryman with a sabre. So he gets up with the sword and he screams and then there's n- multiple cuts away from him, back to him, away from him, back to him, it feels like. Mm. And it just... That actor that plays the swordsman doesn't really sell it for me. And... It just, it feels very clunky and that whole little bit doesn't work. Um, it's just not very well done. I don't, mm. I'm not entirely sure whether it's an editing thing where it could have been cut a little bit more. Some I felt that um, sometimes in the movie, even even in could, even in the charge, I was like, you don't have to show us that. You could cut from that, it's fine. Yeah, it could have been a little, um, mm. a little more um, succinct perhaps. But yeah, that, that bit was a little clunky to me. But that was the only instance in the film where I thought, oh, well, that's not, that's not too great. Um, generally speaking, I don't really, I haven't got an issue with the fact that it doesn't know who is the main character and whether it wants a main character. I think as the movie, I think it works because its whole premise is to set up this climactic, beautifully shot charge at the end of the movie. Yeah. And there are sequences in the film which do it really nicely. So there's a letter writing scene where uh, the intelligence officer gets and the nurse who... Dave falls in love I with. I found that to so, write, so fucking laborious, that bit. To write out... Um, <laughs> let me, let me, let no, me no, explain. No, no, no it's To fine. write out um, a fake letter to, to sell yeah. um, the, the, the fake intelligence that the attack isn't going to come in mm-hmm. where, where, the, where the text think it's going to come, etc. And it's, it, it kind of it kind of stops it dead a little bit. I, 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 I agree there, but it's her acting in it is really nicely done. Mm. I think she puts in a, a a good performance in that scene, but the scene is a little bit. It's it's long. It's it's drawn out as well. Bit, That's another element that yeah, is drawn out. Yeah. Um. There's lots of nice sequences where the, the the men are looking after the horses. There's a bit almost 
inevitably there's a bit where a horse has to be put down yep. and the emotion comes there quite early One on the guys, as well. mm. yeah yeah um that horse is is mortally wounded and the guy riding it is also badly wounded and we get some more emotion from the guys when uh, when the news that he's died is comes through um but as you say we get that trope again of the new guy getting it um yeah i sort of don't in, and it, i don't enjoy that anyway half the time i mean i think there's, there's no but i mean it yeah you can see where it could come from a place of you know human reality i guess I sort um, of, yeah i do i mean they're upset their friends died and he's replacing the friend yeah. i know they're upset about that but it's i've seen it so many times where i'm just like there's nothing new here you can you're doing you're not adding anything to this trope it's just it, i yes. always think i always think well in the character in the character's view it's not his fault he's new you're just giving him shit because you can it's sort of a bit it's a little bit done you know i'm a little bit over that trope but that's just me personally as a as a viewer but overall i think it it, it works really well so another tiny little niggling thing would be that the sights on the uh, the turkish mauser would have been in ottoman um, i love they were, yeah they would have been they would have been in Turkish, um, Ottoman Turkish. Now you say is, it, it makes um, so much sense, but I thought they were just... Yeah, they German were in Arabic. Supplies. They were in Arabic Western numerals. But I thought um, they'd be in, not in IV. No, I thought they were... Yeah, no, no. Not in Roman numerals. <laughs> we should call this one um, the Light Horseman Apprentices Roman numerals episode. So Ottoman Turkish is a, is a little uh, written language that's fallen out of favour. It was a combination of Persian and um, Arabic. Uh, I wrote an article about it, about um, Turkish Mauser markings a couple of years ago that's how i noticed right because you wouldn't notice otherwise no, no. Um, i thought they were really like niche. yeah i think they were german supplied weapons again if it had been in ottoman turkish you wouldn't have gone oh look he's sitting it at 1600 i wouldn't have thought of things and, then, at and all. The, the guy on the rangefinder is now shouting it's 400 meters yeah so you wouldn't get English, that you wouldn't, didn't, you wouldn't tweet. Didn't speak ottoman turkish to them so that was even more oh, jarring. God. If i mean go down that yeah, line, if, yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna be picky on yeah. that level i mean there's plenty of blackface going on here as well there's a bit there's, a, there's there. a as a turkish staff officer which has the thickest australian accent you'll ever that was really anywhere. weird wasn't it i thought that yeah. really threw me i was like he's like it's australian lard horse and i was like where's he from melbourne <laughs> like it's like <laughs> it's not turkish <laughs> I think all in all, it's a good film and I would recommend anyone to watch it. Not only because it depicts uh, Australians in Palestine and that element of the war, which is so undersold and under undertold in film and, and even in documentary and books. Yeah. Like Compare that to the, the amount of media and material and books and research which is done on the Western Front in Gallipoli, then mm. it pales in comparison. Um, so I think that is, you know, it's it's an important film in that respect. But also, it, it, it's a spectacle. This whole film is a real spectacle. It's an epic in sense of not only runtime, but also not only that opening sequence, which is so beautifully shot, but you get lots of that throughout the film and that stunning climactic charge. It, it's just, you sit there and you, I can't imagine, I've only ever watched this on like a TV or a computer monitor. I can't imagine seeing that charge in a cinema. I, I would imagine it would have been spectacular. No, I'd echo that as well. I think it's it's a decent enough film. If you can, for me, if you can stick with the cliches, if you can stick with the sort of little bit ham-fisted dialogue here and there, a um, little bit forced exposition, if you can stick with that, and if you can stick with it to the to the charge at the end, I mean, it's well worth your time. I also really like the the level of detail that they've attempted to go into. So they're using 
um, people that existed, real characters. Um, Dave and Anne's characters are said at the end to be based on um, two, two real people that married after the war. Um, the the officers are all uh, named officers that mm-hmm. were there in the field. Um, and I, I think it does a really stand-up job of trying to be accurate. Um, as accurate as a film can be mm. and you know that that's that's laudable as well yeah and as, as matt said earlier i think it's important in the in the grand scheme of great war films because you know there were only so many films about the first world war set in the desert and there are only so many films that horse mounted infantry or, or cavalry for that matter so mm, true it's important so there we have it that was the light horseman episode two of anzac month uh, next week we have a special guest uh, joining us for another well, another Anzac movie. What, what else is it going to be in Anzac month? Um, but this time it'll be a World War II flavour. That's as much as you're getting this week. As always, uh, stick to Foff on the socials at Fighting On Film. You'll find us on Facebook and Twitter. And always remember, you can find these episodes on Matt's channel because he uploads them a lot. I often forget. So <laughs> keep tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned to Foff. And don't forget to check out our website, fightingonfilm.com. And we'll catch you again next week for another Anzac-related movie. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.